The Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the disciples, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. I'd like you to grab your hymnal. We're going to turn to uh, page 1162 in the back. Don't panic, there is no singing involved. One of the many cool things about the new hymnal is it reaches back a couple of generations to bring forward the tradition of having Luther's catechism in it. The third article of the creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And then comes that great Luther phrase. If you grew up Lutheran in confirmation, this is the phrase that you filled out on your test all the way down before you started actually doing the hard work of writing the memorization. What's the question? What does this mean? (laughs) What does this mean? And it's the first sentence that speaks to the text that we have today. I believe that by my own understanding or strength, I cannot believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. It does not matter how well-read we are, how clever we are, where we went to school, how we drive, our favorite color, how nice we are to our neighbors. Some of the older translations would say that we cannot by our own reason or strength no matter the extent to which we are reasonable. But instead, the Holy Spirit has called me through the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, made me holy and kept me in the true faith, just as he calls, gathers, enlightens, and makes holy the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the common true faith. It's not us. It's not us. The Holy Spirit comes to us, and even our faith in God is a gift, not something that we bring to the equation. Put your hymnals away. We don't, uh, we don't like things like that, do we? <laughs> we like reasonable things. We like things that that line up easily. 
that we wake up in the morning and said, wow, I feel refreshed, and have I been ever so clever that I have worked out this philosophy that is if, then, God, right? It's reasonable. It's reasonable. And we can marvel in our cleverness. And yet it doesn't lend itself to that, does it? Like other things, which I think is important to remember. We often want to put faith in this one strange box that isn't square because it doesn't fit. But there are other things like that. Love. Hope. Joy. Other things that aren't quite so uplifting either. Grief. Pain. Guilt. Sorrow. Things that are not reasonable. Things that we don't come home from a funeral and think to ourselves, yeah, I'm putting this in a spreadsheet. Our human experience doesn't boil itself down to that. Now, Paul, ever the the thinker, ever the, the reasonable guy, He's always wanting to explain to his audience, his congregation, why belief in Christ is so reasonable. Most often we hear him speaking to a Jewish audience and quoting from the Old Testament. But not not today. Today, in many ways, particularly for Westerners, he's speaking to us, Greeks. He is speaking the words of philosophy and reason And it's still hard. But there's a phrase in that passage that I think speaks to what Paul is driving at. He is in this place that we might equate with a town square kind of place. Soapboxes everywhere. There are altars to various gods and deities. And there's one marked to an unknown god. And Paul jumps onto this opportunity and starts to speak. Who is this unknown god? The God who has created all things from the very beginning. And he goes on very persuasively. But he moves into this particular point that I think hits home for us. He talks about how as human beings, we have been created to turn towards God and seek God. It's in our bones. A sense that there is more. It's like other things, not different, strange, but normal, human kind of need. Have you ever gone a day and missed a meal or two in sequence? And when it comes time for the next meal, is your body telling you that it's time to eat? (laughs) Your body is screaming for food. And in that same fashion, in our heart is this longing for something more, a longing that turns us towards our Creator, but not in some clever or reasonable pursuit. That's not it. In fact, the word that we interestingly got stuck on during text study this last week, and I don't even know the Greek word for it, but the English translation is the word grope. There aren't a lot of texts with the word grope in it. Or I should say in the Bible, there are not (laughs) a lot of texts. 
with the word grope. And the word grope has a lot of negative connotations, but let's put those aside and think about how that word is used. When we hear the word groping, I picture those times when I was in the Midwest and it would be dark outside and you would lose the lights and you would grope for the candle, for the matches. It wasn't orderly and laid out neat and reasonable and by our own cleverness and strength but a sense of reaching for the wall. Or the other image that I have is if you've ever raised a small child, you know that when they're about two or three, there are those situations where you're in a crowded space and too many people are wearing jeans. (laughs) And they latch on to the wrong leg. (laughs) And there's that, that moment. But that sense of groping goes back to what Luther articulates, that it's not our own reason or strength that brings us to faith, but rather it is a sense of flailing, a sense of groping, a sense of not knowing the path, and yet in our bones the need to look and reach. That is where the Holy Spirit meets us. That's not an easy space. We like things lined up. It's not a comfortable space. But when John picks up, it begins to switch gears. Because now, unlike the last few weeks, where we've heard so much about what God has done for us, even in the first reading coming to us in the Spirit, the text changes on a dime. Last week at the end of the reading, you might have remembered the words where Jesus says to the disciples, anything you ask in my name, I will give it to you. So you notice where today's gospel text picks up? It starts out by saying, so now here's what you're going to do. (laughs) I've told you what I'm going to do, here's what you're going to do. If you love me, You will obey my commandments. You will obey. This sense in our bone to reach for God calls us to live in a way that is not like us in nature. We had a great Bible study leader at the Senate Assembly who was a New Testament professor of mine in Columbus, Ohio. And to paraphrase him a little bit, His understanding of us living into new ways of being is called faking it. He says, I know you're sitting there thinking about generosity and saying, I'm just not as generous as Bill. I wish I could be, but I'm not. And his argument was, fake it. Are we as loving as we could be to all of creation around us? We have moments of brilliance separated often by weeks of what we call life. But God calls us, I don't know if to fake it is quite the right word, but the image is to act our way into having new hearts.
Not waiting for the reasonable argument and strength and cleverness to throw a switch in our brain so that we'll then act differently. But rather to act differently first. And in so doing, to allow the Holy Spirit to work on us. That's the image. And so this circular language in John of love abiding with us and God the Father and the Spirit is an interesting language. An advocate, the text says. But the Greek can just as easily say the encourager. And in many ways, perhaps a better language. The Holy Spirit that encourages us to encourage others, to embody Christ's love in this world to all of creation. Everywhere. No limits. No cutting back. No seeing who's worth helping or who's going to meet us part way. But rather simply where there is hurt. So as you look at these texts, realize that God comes to us. That's chapter 1. Chapter 2 then is what God calls us to do. Namely, to live lives of love that are shaped on Christ's example. Amen.